Well, good morning, Evergreen SGV. It's good to be back. We're, uh, my family and I were gone for a couple weeks uh, up, in, uh, up in Seattle. And uh, matter of fact, after the all-church conference, a few days later, we took off so we could, uh, I was able to preach at my friend's church up there. They had their church conference the following weekend, so it was great. But what a great Sunday where we get to see baptisms take place. You know, it's, inter- it's great to see Bertha, Garrett, Jonathan, and Perry make their public declaration. And I hope for these four that their faith, at least in their minds and their hearts, will be crystallized by making this declaration. Although, like Pastor Victor says, baptism has zero bearing, zero a contribution to their salvation. It's all about Christ and his death and resurrection. But they're being obedient to what, what God has called them to do. And I pray that they, it, their faith will get more crystallized through this. And we'll be able to come alongside them and support them in this. You know, and baptisms, baptism is emblematic of what Christ has done in their lives. They're new people, literally new people. But um, um, with all the, you know, at the All Church Conference was an awesome event. Uh, it was just a wonderful time to just come, to come together as a church family. And uh, I think we got a wonderful opportunity still to extend that momentum that, that w- the Lord gave us during that conference by be participating in the All Church Bible study. And if you're not part of a branch yet, I would highly encourage you to find a branch, sign up, get involved. You know, in a big church, Church gets a lot smaller in these branches. This is where you do life together. This is where we get to build relationships. This is where we're able to get deeper into the world, word together. This is where we're able to share our scars together and to encourage each other. This is where we're able to just rejoice over, over blessings that are taking place in our lives. And um, while, we're up in, while I was up in Seattle, for the first time, I was able to go back to the VMAC. The VMAC is the... Virginia Mason Athletic Center, the Seattle Seahawks training facility, and I haven't gone back, you know, since uh, I retired, but like, um, it was neat. It was phenomenal. I was able to get, I got there at 5 a.m. and left at 9 p.m. and pretended to be a coach for a day, you know? It's like, live your fantasy day, you know? And I was hanging out and eating their food, hanging out, watching practice. Uh, You know, they even had me present to the team again, you know, like like good old days. And, uh, Somebody asked me, one of my good friends asked me, and, and other people have asked me multiple times while I was up there, do you miss this? You know, and, and my response was no, I, I really didn't. In terms of the meetings, in terms of the practice, in terms of the, just the presentations, I love football. It's the greatest game in the universe, but I didn't miss it at all. And, but w- what I did miss is the people. I miss certain people. I miss certain coaches, certain uh, players, uh, the staff. It was just great to see the people and this is where, what makes life so rich. This is what makes life rich in the church's relationships. So this is where, join these branches. This is what, this is what part of the Christian life. Christian life is a communal thing. It's a team thing. This is not a privatized thing. And so if you haven't joined, I highly encourage you, join, join, join. It'll be an immense blessing for you. And um, while we're there, you know, I was like, they even gave me a practice script. You know, I got like a souvenir to take home. And it's incredible. It has every, like every minute is, you know, is, is detailed. Every single minute. This day we worked on third down, short yards, and sudden change. And so we, got, we had a little emphasis. You know, I mean, look, you got one-on-ones. You know, running backs are going against the linebackers. Yeah, team run. You had blitz category. You even had a water break uh, for three minutes in there. So, I mean, everything is scripted because you don't want to waste any time when you're on the practice field. And what this reminded me of is this, the urgency, the sense of urgency that comes with training camp. 
And as we get into the text today, we will see the urgency, the sense of urgency in the, in the book of John in chapter 9. And uh, this is exactly what I saw. So um, as we get into God's word, let's pray. Let's ask God to bless this time. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for Bertha. Thank you for Garrett. Thank you for Jonathan. Thank you for Perry. The fruit of obedience to obey you, to get baptized, Lord. Father, I pray you bless their faith immensely. Grow their faith from one level to the next as they enjoy the fruit of obedience. And uh, Lord, I just pray their family and their friends will come alongside them and encourage them in their walk. I pray as a church family we'll be, encouraged, be able to encourage these four in their walk with you, Lord. God, what a privilege. What a privilege to see what you have done in their lives. So Father God, I pray for uh, the sermon I pray you to bless this sermon. May we love your son more through the preaching of your word. Lord Jesus, I pray we will see your urgency, how you are, so that we could become more like you in this way. Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, that you open our hearts to hear from you so that we will have more the mind of Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be at John chapter 9. I sure hope you bring your Bibles. You know, and as, was, as this, if training camp is emblematic of coming together as a team, no one left their playbooks. They, when we got to meetings, everyone had their playbooks. Everyone had their note-taking stuff, you know, because it was so important what they're going to learn. How much more important to the Word of God. So let's bring our Bibles. If you don't have one, let us know. We'll get you a Bible. We'll get your Bible. So we're going to be at John chapter 9, 1 through 12. So let's rise as we honor God by standing up and reading his word together. A little bit of context. Pa uh, Dan Pastor Daniel did a great job last week explaining how Jesus claimed to be God when Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus, in no unclear terms, claimed to be God in, this, in that text. And what was the reaction? The religious rulers wanted to murder him. Okay, so let's read that in mind. This is what's going on in the mind of Christ. Christ is being hunted down. They want to kill our Lord and Savior. They want to murder him. This is not a relaxing time. This is a very intense moment in, in the life of our Lord. So as we see it in chapter 9, we're going to see how he responds. Okay, so let's read. Here's God's word, chapter, John chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, if it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes open? He answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, 
go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed, and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you, God, for your word. Your word is so good. Thank you for the immense privilege of preaching a word. May you be glorified and honored today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah says that the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world would be able to restore blind men to seeing. This is exactly what Jesus is doing. This is exactly who the audience in the temple is seeing. Jesus leaves the temple. He encounters this blind man sitting down begging. This is the context. And he will prove to the world, prove to the religious rulers that Jesus, in fact, is the Messiah, the Christ. Who's this blind man? He was definitely poor. He was left to begging. This was was his livelihood. He sat at the temple gate because that's where people will come back in and out. A lot of traffic flow. And hopefully have compassion from the people who are going to worship God at the temple. He was a hopeless man. All he could do is wait to die and hope that someone shows him some mercy. Well, this day he would have the, the great privilege and the greatest acts of mercy done to him. Verse 6, it says that Jesus spit on the ground and made clay, mud, and he, and he, and he put it on the, the blind man's eyes. And he tells the blind man, hey, go wash into, at the Pool of Siloam. The Pool of Siloam is still there to this, uh, to this very day. The Pool of Siloam, I was able to visit on my trip to Israel. It's just, you know, this body, body of water through the Hezekiah, King Hezekiah built a tunnel and the water still comes in through that way. And this is where the priest during the uh, Feast of Booths, which was happening prior to this event, would get water and, and, and do the water ceremony in the temple. So Jesus tells uh, uh, this man, go wash yourself in this very pool. And sure enough, he does. And basically, Jesus is saying, I am the living water. I'm the one that's going to give you life. And there's a lot of controversy ensuing in, in and some people were saying, yeah, he's the one. He's the one that was healed. Nah, he looks like him, not quite sure. But the man goes, no, I am the one. I was the man begging blind since birth, and he healed me. This man named Jesus put some clay in my eyes and told me to wash, rinse off at the pool of Siloam, and I received my sight. I am that man. And keep in mind, the, the religious rules are trying to kill Jesus. So let's drill into verse 1 here. As he passed by, all this is going on. Intensity, hatred, animosity, disbelief, blindness, true spiritual blindness of the religious rulers are driving them to look to kill Jesus, our Lord. It says that he had been blind since birth. He's never seen the light of day once. This is the first time he's ever seen light, the light of day but Jesus, as he's walking by, this was not just a passing glance where he just looks at him and just keeps on. He, he stopped, looked long enough to look at this man for his disciples to take notice of this man. How do we know that they took notice? Because they asked a question. Who sinned? Jesus sees this man in a certain way. The disciples see them in a, him in a different way. They see him more as a case study. Right, look at the question they asked in verse 2. And his rabbis, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, 
this man or his parents that he would be born blind. He's just a theological Rubik's Cube, like, okay, let's figure this guy out. Let's figure out this case out. They could care less about what this man has been going through this whole time. Now, we, all, we know that we live in a fallen world and all suffering could be traced back to sin. All right? In a general sense, when they ask who sinned, I mean, in a general sense, they're right. Sin is the cause of all of our sufferings, whether you're blind, whether you're going through issues, whether you're going through relational things, whether you're going through some hard times at work. It's all due to sin. Sin, the fallen world that we live in. But, but they were asking, I believe, in a more direct, distinct sense, like, what specific sin caused this, right? And the Bible says he was blind since birth, so I'm not sure if they're thinking, did he sin in his mama's womb, his mother's womb? Right? Or were they, when they asked, like, who sinned? His parents? Well, we know that suffering is unavoidable in Job uh, chapter 5, 6, and 7. The Bible says this, For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. For man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. Troubles, trials, afflictions, sufferings unavoidable in this world, in this life that we live in. You know, and Pastor Corey talked about disabilities a couple weeks ago and used this passage and the, some of the purposes of suffering. And today I want to just give a few uh, uh, possible answers for why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow suffering? And there's no pad answers. There's no one Bible verse or one, one, one sentence that could explain all the suffering in the world. But here's some uh, possibilities. Could This man could have been blind because of consequences to sin. I mean, his mom and dad, you know, STD, sexually transmitted diseases like gonorrhea, as the child passes through the birth canal, could cause blindness. Could be, all right? Bible also says in Hebrews 12 that the, the God allows suffering or trials to come to correct or to restore his people. Like a father would discipline his son or daughter. All right? It's meant for correction, for restoration. Another reason could be why God allows suffering. 2 Corinthians 1 talks about so that we are able to encourage one another, to love one another, embrace one another through our own trials. In James chapter 1, it talks about trials. Could be, me, could be meant to mature our faith, grow our faith in Christ, our Lord. But the fifth reason that I'm going to talk about is what, the reason why chapter 9 says that this man was blind is for God's work to be displayed. There was a purpose, distinct purpose, for this man to be blind since birth. And in verse 3, it says, Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents it wasn't because of their sin. It wasn't because of the parents' sin or this man's sin. But it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. It wasn't due to anybody's sin, but God had a purpose to demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah by being able to heal this man in, in context of what's been happening. The religious rulers knew the Old Testament. The religious rulers knew the prophecy that the Messiah would restore the blind. And here's a blind man. God sovereignly allowed this man to be blind, and Jesus heals him. Now, we're going to mine and dig for gold in verse 4. We're going to spend some time in verse 4 here. We're gonna, let's dig deep, and let's see what we could uh, extract from this powerful verse. Verse 4 says this, We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. 
Night is coming when no one can work. This verse, when we understand what's been going on in the Christ, they want to kill him. He's here on a mission to show that he's the Messiah. I see incredible sense of urgency by our Lord in this text. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. As long as it is day, in a sense, means that since while we have time, while I'm alive on this side of eternity, brothers and sisters, we must do what God has called us to do because on the other side of eternity, we're not able to do these works. This is a limited window of opportunity. This is an infinite window of opportunity. Oh, I'll get around to it tomorrow. Tomorrow's not guaranteed to anybody. Now is the time where we obey. Now is the time we obey to get baptized. Now is the time we join our branches. Not next week. And so this is, as the day is long, this is talking about as long as we're alive, as long as Christ is on earth, he has a mission to do. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. And I think a window of opportunity, you know, maybe perhaps you're, in junior, uh, you're a junior in high school right now, and you've got to get your GPA right. You have to nail that SAT score or a GR because that's what sets you up to go to the college of your choice. I get it. There's a t- time for everything. Perhaps you're, you know, if athletes, you know, at the Seahawks, there are athletes that have been veterans for a long time. Time, that window of playing at that level is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And football isn't one of those games where you play, do a pickup game on Monday nights. Once it's over, it's over. All right, football is not one of those things that you just keep playing. Perhaps you desire to have children. You want to get pregnant. Getting older, you see in your mind, mind's eye, the window of opportunity just shrinking. We understand the sense of urgency. We have to do it now. This is the time. Perhaps you're a parent and your children are growing up. You just have another year or two under your house and you want to influence them to love Christ as much as possible because once they leave, you will have influence, but it may not be the same. You know this urgency, sense of urgency. And this is what I saw up in Seattle. You know, Coach Carroll, who I love dearly, a good friend, he's 66 years old now. You know, he's been coaching a long time. And he's not going to be able to coach forever. There are windows right there right now. There is sense of urgency to get this done right now. So we understand this. You know, we understand what sense of urgency looks like. We understand a window, windows of opportunity. When it's talking about day do you have breath right now? Whether you're a youngster, junior high schooler, or you're a harvester, are you doing God's work? Now is the time. As long as you have breath, this is the day right now. You have an opportunity to do God's work. You have an opportunity. Because once night comes, Bible says in verse 4, night is coming when no one can work. This is when you have passed over to the other side. This is when you're on the other side of eternity now. Work time is over. This type, at least this type of work time is over. If you're a harvester, it's time to finish. It's time to finish strong. It's time to finish. I'm encouraged as I hear testimony at Atherton doing Bible studies with the ladies there. That's what I'm talking about. Finish strong. Finish strong. This is, it's not over yet. It is, you're not there yet. And I just hear a sense of urgency in our Lord's words right here. Remember this. They're trying to kill him. He's public enemy number one in the temple, and the, the religious rulers want to kill him. Just in six months, Jesus will be going to the cross. He understands this. this so he has six months on this, uh, on this side of, of life for him. Six months. He's in the winter of his life right now. Now let me ask you, my brothers and sisters, if you knew you would die in January, 
How would you live your life? What will your mindset be like? Will you be consumed by frivolous things? Will you be consumed with retirement? Will you be consumed with that vacation that you want to go on? Are you consumed with a mortgage? Are you consumed with other things, the people who bother you at work? Are those things really going to matter if you knew you're going to die in, in January? Or would you prioritize and be very clear, Christ, my family, my relationships, I want to tie these things up nicely. I want to be a great lasting re reminder of Christ in my life before January comes. This is Jesus. Jesus has that sense of urgency, our Lord, our Lord. At age 12, when Jesus was in the temple, in Luke chapter 2, you can look it up, he, he said, I must be about my father's business. He was clear at age 12, 12-year-olds. 12 he knew. He had a clear calling. It's not too early to be obedient to the father. Jesus said, it's in uh, John chapter 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. This is what satisfies me to do my father's work. This is what I live for. This is what sustains me. This is what gives me life. There's nothing greater than obeying God and what he has called us to do. I want to dig into Ephesians chapter 2. You have the text uh, thrown up on the uh, screen here, but Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. God saved us as a free gift, getting what we don't deserve. No one can boast. It's a gift from God. Not earned, given, gift. Here's a blessing for you. Favor, grace, so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship, poema, work of art, unique work of art. Everyone who is a Christian in Christ is a unique work of art, one of a kind, created in Christ, saved in Christ Jesus for good works, it says, the Bible says, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We were created to do good works. We don't, we don't do good works to be saved, but we are saved to do good works. In training camp, it's, it's an exciting time. There's a sense of urgency because it's tryout time as well. Players are trying out, whether you're a veteran, longtime veteran, pro bowl player, or you're a rookie free agent trying to make the team. It's tryout time. Tomorrow could be completely different whether you're on the team or not. I've seen things change on a day-to-day -day basis. So this is an intense time, but everyone's competing for a role. Okay, you're competing to have, find your little niche where, man, you're so good at this, we have to keep you. Trying to convince the organization and those in charge, I, you have to keep me. I'm trying to develop and create and secure a role. No different in the life of the church. Everyone has a role to play so that this team, this church, can function as powerfully as possible for Christ. We understand this in the world of football. How much more the, world, the life of the church should we understand this concept that everybody has a role to do? Now, the big difference between football and, and, uh, and in the Christian life is that Christ is the one that saves us. Christ is the one that puts us on his team. Christ is the one that secures our place on our team. We have an eternal lifetime contract on his team, right? And he's the one that gives us the role. We don't compete to stay on the team or to get on the team. Christ himself has competed so that we could be on his team and fulfill a unique role that he has for all of us. 
We don't need 20,000 pastors. We need people out there living the life of a Christian in where you live. Once again, I want to be very clear. We do not work for our righteousness. Okay, we're not creating any new heretical doctrines. We do not work for our righteousness. However, we work out of our righteousness because this is simply who we are. This is simply who we've been created to be. And keep in mind, Jesus is not hovering around with thousands of people anymore. There aren't thousands and thousands of people here anymore. He's drilled it down. He's cut back on that. He's drilling down to his 12 disciples right now. About a chapter and a half ago, he, he, he let go of everybody else. He's drilling in. For these next six months, I'm focusing on training up my disciples, Jesus says. And back to John 9, 4, it says, we, we must work the works of him. We, he doesn't say I, Jesus doesn't say I. He says we, the disciples at that time, but also all of us disciples 2,000 years later. We, all of us, we must, it says the Bible, next verse of word says, this is a natural response, must, in a sense, it's a compulsion. I have to obey, I have to do, be part of this. It's a natural divine obligation. Christ died for me, Christ rose again for me, Christ is my Lord, therefore I'm obligated to do his work. This is a natural thing. It's just a natural response to doing the work of God. So we were created, we were saved for good works. And it says, night is coming when no one can work. What happens at night? At night, when night happens for you and me, we will be judged. You, we will be judged. And to be clear, we're talking about two judgments that happens for, for, the, for anybody. The first one is the... Uh, in Revelation chapter 20, it talks about the great white throne judgment. And this, in essence, judges, are you in the book of life? Are you in eternity with Christ forever or separated from Christ forever in hell? And that is completely a free gift. This is grace. God is the one that puts us in his family. That's completely, simply believe in the good news, the gospel, and you are in God's family. Now, the second uh, judgment is where I'm going to focus in on a little bit. It's called the Bema Seat Judgment. This judges how faithful were you? How faithful were you to what he has called you specifically to do? How, and this, these rewards are completely earned, completely merit-based, this isn't determined whether you're in, in heaven or not, but this determines the, the level of eternal rewards you will receive. This is a day of reckoning. This is a real thing. Now, the Bema Seat uh, judgment found in 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, For we must all appear. There's that word again. We, all of us, we must, again, must, unavoidable. This is happening again. All appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be re recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. All believers will be evaluated on that day. This judgment seat pictures, uh, when it says the judgment seat of Christ, this judgment seat pictures an elevated platform. In that time, the Olympics uh, athletic events, the winner got a wreath. It, you see the modern-day Olympics, someone gets a gold medal, they're on these platforms, someone gets a silver and bronze, they get a bouquet of flowers or stuffed animal, <laughs> and they get these awards, okay? So this is the picture that you're having. There, we will be rewarded in that day. 
How faithful, based on your rewards, on your merit. Deeds of the body, in 2 Corinthians, right here, it says, is what, what did I do while I was alive? It's like Christ is talking, what did you do on this side of eternity? All believers, all true believers, now hear this very clearly, all true believers will have some kind of work in their life. Like I said before, we do not earn our salvation, but work is a natural byproduct that happens when people are redeemed. People come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. When you are a new creation, when you are a work of art, poema, naturally you just do good work. Now, I get it. Some of us, it's obvious. Well, that guy is really involved with stuff of the Lord. Where it's others, it's a bit harder, all right? We're all on our journey, I get it. But there has to be some, there will be some kind of evidence, some kind of fruit that you are a Christian. If you're honestly looking at yourself and, and, and you, have, you could see no good work in your life, let me say this much clearly and distinctly. You're not even in the discussion. You're not even in the game. You're not even in the race. The platform is for participants only. Good works will reveal that you are redeemed. It serves as an encouragement for us on this side of eternity, does it not? That's why getting baptized, that, that ser- should serve as encouragement to these four. That, yeah, I wanted to obey God. This is why I did it. Jesus is Lord. That should help crystallize, yeah, I am a Christian. Yeah, I'm not, although not perfect, we get that, but yes, I do generally want to obey Christ as my Lord. It's a huge blessing. On that day, will you be thinking about the frivolous things of the world? Will you be thinking about the trivial things of this world? It's not going to matter. Those trivial things, the, the things that consume our thoughts, the things that we scroll through on the internet, the things that we scroll through on our, uh, our devices are not going to matter. Those aren't, the standings aren't going to matter the stats aren't going to matter. Those things are not going to matter. Obedience is what's it's key here in this Bema seat judgment. Were you obedient to what Christ has called you to do? Now, the NFL season has started, and when I went to practice, it, we're roughly about five weeks away from the very first game kickoff. And there was urgency. I'm telling you, it was, it was let's go. It was intense. People were cheering, moving, running around. There was no complacency. There was none of that. It was like, okay, there's a lot of things that need to get done. It's a race against time. How much can I prepare before kickoff of game one? Because how well you prepare will show up, just like in the Bema seat on game one, how well you're prepared. And no one wants to show themselves unprepared. No one wants to show themselves unfaithful. And that elevated podium at the end of the season for NFL is you want to raise up the Super Bowl trophy. That's what it is. You want to be on that stage with the confetti flying down and be able to hold up, say, look at each other in the eye and say, look, man, we, we did a good job. We did this together. That's a phenomenal feeling. It is a phenomenal feeling. I can't lie. It's a wonderful feeling. However, that's going to be absolutely fleeting compared to hearing Christ say, well done, good and faithful servant. That trophy is not going to matter. Those conf- that confetti is not going to matter. That's frivolous compared to what Christ is going to say, God willing, well done, good and faithful servant. In that moment, nothing else is going to matter. So what, what did I do for the Lord to advance his kingdom on this side of eternity? What did I do? What did I, di- what did I do or did not do? Did not do will be known. It will be obvious. There's no hiding. It will be crystal clear. 
to our Lord and everybody else. So the Bible says right here in verse 5 here, while I'm in the world, while I'm alive, I am the light of the world. My job is to illuminate the way. My job is to show the way, Jesus says. I am the light of the world. Jesus proves that he is a Christ by giving sight, physical vision, physical light to this man. He proves to all the religious rulers, but they're absolutely blind, spiritual. They can't even see that. They're experts of the Old Testament. They still couldn't see this. That just shows you spiritual blindness is, is, is deadly, absolutely dangerous, sends people to the pit of hell. Physical blindness is bad, but spiritual blindness is worse. Now, this is the doing good works, doing works for God is crucial, but let's make sure of this. The heart of doing good, uh, God's work is just as critical. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Remember, Jesus took the time to see this man. Jesus and the disciples completely saw this man differently. The disciples saw him as more, like I said, theological Rubik's Cube, like, okay, how do we figure this guy out? This is a case study. There's no compassion. There's no love. They're just judging, like, who sinned? Jesus saw this man in a completely different way. He saw one of his own troops right there sitting, lying down. He saw one of his soldiers that's going to uh, advance the gospel someday. He saw one of his own. He saw his brother lying there. And it says, Jesus gives this man sight. The, the blind man was not just a pawn just to show, like, okay, I'm the Messiah. All right, you're just a, you're just a pawn. He, wasn't a pawn. he was more than a pawn. He wasn't, he wasn't just a pawn to Jesus. Jesus cared about this man. The light of the world gives sight to the blind man. But more importantly, he gives him spiritual sight. The blind man got to be part of his story. This is an act of God's grace. He, there's nothing he could have done. Jesus goes to him. He's never laid eyes on Jesus before. Jesus goes to him and heals this man. He didn't even ask him, what do you want me to do? He just healed the man. John 9, 35. I'm just going to skip ahead a little bit because this is important. I want to see the heart of our Lord. John 9, 35. Jesus heard that they had put him out. They threw this man out of the, of the temple. They kicked this man out because he, uh, we'll explain next week how he speaks up for Christ. But they kicked him out. But look what Jesus, and finding him, Jesus goes to seek him out. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek this man out. Where is he? Where's my guy? Where's my, I gotta I got go find him. I gotta go find him. He seeks him out. He said, do you believe in the son of man? Jesus asked him. He answered, who is he, Lord? that I may believe in him. <clears throat> Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you. You physically see me, but it's more important, spiritually, you see me as Christ. I've given you sight to see and saved you, my friend. And he said, Lord, I believe in your worship. This man has the proper response. He worships Jesus. So whenever we do good works, it's an act of worship. We simply obey. We simply naturally do what the Lord demands. It's because his, this is what he commands, who he is. I love it. In, in Christ, let me, ask you, let me ask us here, who are Christians, who, who know that we love Jesus in Christ, how else could you explain your story? How else could you explain your own personal story? This blind man has a story, and it's, 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 it's documented for all of eternity in the Word of God. What is your story? How else could you explain your story? We were all once blind, but now you can see. 
I, God opened my eyes up in 1998 in my locker room at the University of Southern California. A teammate, Rocky Brown, preached the gospel to me. I wasn't saved in the church. I was saved in my own field. I was saved where I lived. Well, this man took the gospel to me, and God allowed me by the power of his Holy Spirit to see that Christ is Lord. What is your story? This is how it's done. The song goes like this, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. The motivation is this, to do work. It isn't like football where I gotta, I, I, it's out of fear, I gotta work, I gotta work, otherwise I'm on or off the team. That's different. You, that's a, football and Christ are different in that regard. The motivation is this, he loved me, therefore I serve him. He opened my eyes to see the truth of who he is, the beauty and the power and the majesty of who he is, therefore I obey. What else could be more natural? What else could be more absolutely natural than that? Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost. Did you come today blind, but now perhaps for the first time, you see Christ, who he is. Perhaps you came with a friend. Perhaps you've come today, and today is the first time you've seen Christ and go, wow, he is Lord. I have to have him. Perhaps God has been gracious to you today. Perhaps you will be the one, in, and he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped. Perhaps you would say in your heart of hearts, I believe, and you will start worshiping Christ this day, moment forward, from this day forward. Perhaps you're that person today. Perhaps you're that blind man that received sight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, God, I just thank you for how gracious you are. I, I just, as we think back to our own lives, I just thank you that you have just saved us, Lord and being gracious to us, Lord. Father, I thank you for the believers in here, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would just love you more and by your grace produce more works for you, for your glory and for our enjoyment. What could be more enjoyment? Jesus, you said the food, your food is to do the will of him who sent me. What what, greater joy could there be? What life-giving thing can there be more than to live for you, Lord Jesus? So I pray we will have this sense of urgency, Lord Jesus, your sense of urgency. If the world of football understands a sense of urgency, how much more your church? So give us this sense of urgency to live for you, Lord. Father, I pray for those in here right now that they have been given spiritual vision. I pray they will cry it to you, Lord, and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah, my Savior, and I believe that you are my Lord. And God, I pray for great fruit to be produced in these lives for your glory. So Father, we thank you, Lord. You're so good. In Jesus' name, amen.